people who hears our prayers, who hears our cry. And this morning, whether it's a loud cry or whether it's a whisper, God, I thank You that You hear each and every one of us, God. God, I thank You it's not about our volume this morning, but it's about the condition or the, the earnestness of our heart. And God, I thank You for everyone that seeks You, for everyone that searches You, they will find You. And God, I pray that You would be found this morning. We thank You, Jesus, for who You are and the difference You make in our lives. In Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, team. Very good. Happy Easter, everyone. Just asking for a friend. Uh, chocolate's a food group, is that right? It's acceptable to eat it three times on Easter Sunday, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Asking for a friend. Or not. You all good? Yep. Everyone, did anyone not get Easter eggs as they came in this morning? It's all right. I've already confiscated a heap off my kids, and I'll give them to you after the service. Come and see me, and I'll hook you up and uh, get you some chocolate this morning. Well, let's get into it. We're not going to uh, preach long this morning because, um, well, I've got a certain amount of notes, and that's it. But I, I, I am very aware that on a day like today, there's some of you that, um, you know what I mean? You're here because you're here every Sunday and there's others of you here because it's Easter and there's others that are here and you're not sure why you're here, but you've been brought along. And um, my prayer this morning is that as I preach, that it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be what, what I have to say to you, but that more that you would hear what God has to say to you, that you would hear what His heart is for you today. And today, we, um, today is a day of celebration. But it was said earlier that um, we don't get to celebrate, we don't get the, the joy or we don't get the excitement or the goodness of of Easter Sunday, of Resurrection Sunday, without the sacrifice of Good Friday. And on Friday, we reflected that a sacrifice was made for you and I, and it was the greatest act of love that mankind, that humankind had ever seen. But today is a celebration because we celebrate that He didn't stay dead, but He rose from the grave, and the grave is empty, and He is alive. And we've celebrated that today. This morning, we're going to read from, from John. We're going to read John's account of that first Easter Sunday, of, of that day when Jesus rose from the dead and it was recorded that they went to the grave and He wasn't there. So we're going to be working our way through John chapter 20 and you can turn there if you've got a Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen soon. Before we go any further, i just got to let you know that I am on my best behaviour today because I have my mum, dad and uncle on the front row <laughs> observing and watching. So if you uh, see me just being a little bit nervous and stuttering and not telling any inappropriate jokes, then that's why. And um, I'll do my best to behave. All right. Ooh. Up you get. It's all good. John 20, verse 1. If you've got your Bible, go there. If not, on the screen. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, the children woke up to eat their Easter eggs. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Just pause there for a second. Note, the other disciple, the person that wrote this passage is John. So he's talking about himself. 
When he says the other disciple that Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. He's not struggling in his self-esteem one bit at all. He knows that he's loved. But he takes it even further. Look what he says next. But we both started out and ran for the tomb. But the other disciple, i.e. me, I outran Peter and I reached the tomb first. Of all the things to record on this Resurrection Sunday, John goes to the trouble to tell us that he and Peter had a race to the empty tomb and he got there first. He's like having his Usain Bolt moment right there going, I am faster than you and I'm getting the privilege of recording this in Scripture so that all of, hum- all of humanity will know that I'm a faster runner than Peter. I don't know why that's there. I haven't got a clue other than the fact that there's probably just a little bit of competitiveness amongst the disciples. And I can't relate to that at all because I'm not a competitive person and, and I'm not able to relate one bit to that right there. You've, you've witnessed that. If you've known me for a while, you know that I'm not a competitive person. But well, these disciples were competitive so much so that they had to record who got to the empty tomb first. The only reason I can think of why they might have put that there is just to, to express, just to highlight that there was an urgency and there was a desire to get there as quick as they could. That's the only thing I can come up with as to why that's recorded there. It goes on to say what happens when they got there. Verses 5 and onwards. He stopped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. While the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first, just putting it back in there in case you didn't get it the first time, also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then... They still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then probably the most underwhelming scripture in all the Bible, then they went home. We've just seen that the tomb is empty and we've just believed and all of a sudden the scriptures have made sense to us and then they went home. Seeing the empty tomb though made them remember the words that Jesus had spoken to them. It wasn't until they saw the empty tomb that they realised that the words that Jesus had said were true. It wasn't until they saw the empty tomb that they believed and the words that Jesus said came alive to them. And they remembered when he said words like this in Matthew 20. As Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately and he told them what was going to happen. This is what he said. We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Then they will hand him over to the Romans to be mocked, flogged with a whip and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. So Jesus had told his followers, he told his disciples, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. Bad stuff is going to happen. Things are going to go down that look like it's the end. But don't worry, because after three days, I will rise from the dead. But I find it amazing that it's not until they see the empty grave that they believe. They hadn't believed up until that point. It wasn't until they'd seen that Jesus was no longer in the grave that they believed. And when they saw, it says that they believed. But then the story shifts. The focus of the story shifts. It focuses on the disciples. Now it shifts back to Mary. Mary Magdalene, the one who went and told disciples about the tomb being empty in the first place. Let's read from verse 11. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. 
As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. You know, I think it's interesting that for Mary, this was a disaster. At this point for Mary, it was an empty tomb. It was distress. It was concern. It was grief. It was all those emotions rolled into one because she went to see Jesus to at least look after his body, his, his dead body, and he's no longer there. So even though the empty tomb to us and to you and I, we celebrate, yay, an empty tomb. That means Jesus rose. For Mary, it wasn't like that. For Mary, the empty tomb represents, hey, what's going on? The person I'm grieving over, the person I've lost, the person who I'm missing is not even here so I can pay my respects. Can you imagine that, the, the turmoil in her heart seeing the empty grave? And it's at this point that she has this encounter with the angel. And he says, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go get him. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and he cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the father, but go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. And it wasn't until Jesus said her name. It wasn't until Jesus said Mary and called her by her name that she saw that who it was, that it was Jesus risen from the grave. It wasn't until Jesus called out to her by her personal name and knew her and said, Mary, it's okay. It wasn't until she had that interaction. It wasn't until she had that moment until she knew that Jesus had risen from the grave. But don't miss what's going on in this story. There's something going on here that sometimes we miss. Don't miss the significance of who Jesus is speaking to. I read this from G.L. Grady says this, In first century Israel, women were not allowed to testify in a court of law. They were considered unreliable witnesses. Yet when Jesus was raised from the dead and he wanted this fact proclaimed to the world, he first commissioned one of his women followers to spread the good news. He chose a woman to be the, the source of the reliable of saying Jesus is risen from the dead. And then furthermore, it says, who was the first to see this profound sight? Mary Magdalene, a woman who would have been considered an outcast by the religious community. She was the one to get the first glimpse of this outstanding revelation. Jesus challenged what was normal and what was accepted. The way of the normal day of the day would have been to get men to testify and men to say, yes, he's risen from the grave and therefore we can rely upon it. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to flip that on its head and I'm going to choose a woman to be the voice. I'm going to choose a woman to be the first one to proclaim that Christ is risen. Not just any woman, but a woman that was considered to be an outcast, a woman that was considered to be an unreliable source of truth. Jesus said, no, I'm going to choose you because Jesus doesn't call who we think. Jesus doesn't use who we think. He doesn't choose the spiritual elite or the religious elite or the priest. He chooses Mary Magdalene, a follower of Christ, someone who had a genuine encounter with Christ, someone whose life had been turned around from knowing Jesus Christ. Jesus chose her to be the voice. Jesus chose her to be the one that proclaimed that he was alive and no longer dead. He turned things upside down. He challenged the religious norms and the society norms of the day. And he said, I'm going to do things in a different way. 
Because Jesus wasn't about the religious norms and he wasn't about fitting into what society said was the done thing. He came to say, there's a new way. There's a new order. My kingdom is come and it's going to be different to what you've seen and experienced before. The outcasts, the oppressed, the downtrodden, they're going to be the ones who I'm going to use in my kingdom. And he came to say, there's a new way of doing things around here and it's different to what you've known before. That's what Jesus did when he came. He didn't choose the religious elite. He chose you and he chose me. And Mary Mag Magdalene was his choice to be the voice, to be the proclaimer that Jesus had risen from the dave. Verse 18 says this, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showered, showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Verse 23 is one of those verses that you read and go, what does that mean? Does that mean Jesus is giving his followers the power to forgive or not to forgive? Is he giving man that, that decision? That doesn't line up with the rest of what we read in Scripture, does it? It's one of those verses that you read and go, what is Jesus actually saying in that verse? When I read it, I question it. So I go and I read some Bible commentaries and different thoughts as to say, what was Jesus actually saying when he said that? What he's saying is this, that the resurrected Christ tells his followers, all of his followers, that through the Spirit that He's just given them, He's enabled them to bear witness. And by bearing witness, they can set people free or release them from their state of affairs. They can be a part of seeing others come to believe in Jesus and what He discloses. And a failure to bear witness, a failure to tell people about the forgiveness will result in the opposite. It will result in a world of people left unable to grasp the knowledge of God. So what's more like saying to his followers, I'm calling you to be messengers of forgiveness, not to be the ones to decide who is forgiven and who's not. You're not stepping into the place of God here. You're rather, you're there as a messenger. You're there as someone to proclaim the forgiveness of God. The Passion Translation says it this way. It says in verse 23, I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins and people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. It's like the verse in Romans that says, how can they believe if they have never heard about him? So this call that Jesus is giving to his disciples is not a call to go into the world and judge the world and say, sinner, not sinner, forgiven, not forgiven. It's a call to go into the world and say, hey, in Jesus, we have forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, we find forgiveness from all of our wrong and all of our sin. And in him, we find the forgiveness that we all need. And it points people to Jesus, not pointing people towards mankind. Too many people have, have read that scripture and gone off into all kinds of scary avenues and scary tangents based on that scripture. But it's not man's job to do that. Our job is to, we're commissioned to be his messengers. Commissioned to be um, advocates of the forgiveness that we have received. The followers of Jesus were commissioned that day. They were, it says that Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit. And he said, go and be my messengers. These were people who were hiding. They were in hiding. They were afraid. They were scared for their lives. And now he commissions them for this risky, life-changing mission. 
he appears to them and he tells them that peace is with them because he is with them. But then he tells them he's the Holy Spirit because he knows that he's not going to be around for long. He knows that he's leaving soon, but he knows that But if he gives them his spirit, if he leaves the Holy Spirit with them, the Holy Spirit will never leave them nor forsake them. The Holy Spirit will be their constant companion. And so he says to them, you have peace because you have my spirit. The Holy Spirit is now with you. So he calls them, commissions them, but also gives them a peace that comes from knowing the Holy Spirit is with them. And we read in that day that says that they are filled with joy. They are filled with joy. Their spirits have been lifted as the reality of what has taken place sets in and they go, Jesus has risen from the grave and He is now here amongst us talking to us. He's showing us His hands. He's showing us the wounds. We know it's Him. And now He is saying, go. And He's giving us this amazing commission to do it. And He's saying, but guess what? You're not alone because my spirit will be with you. They've seen Jesus with their own eyes. Imagine that sight. Imagine that day. But guess what? Not everyone got to see Jesus that day. There's someone who missed out. Someone slept in and wasn't there at the meeting that morning. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, I said, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Listen to this statement. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You know, Thomas has copped a hard time throughout history. He's been nicknamed Doubting Thomas. But Thomas is no different to you and he's no different to me. He's actually no different to the other disciples. The other disciples believed because they saw. And all that Thomas is doing is saying, hey, I didn't get to see. I missed out. I slept in that morning and I didn't see Jesus. But when I see him, I'll believe. When I see his wounds, then I will believe. And Jesus shows up and appears to him and says, Hey, here I am. Have a look. And when Thomas saw, he believed. Thomas was exactly the same. Once he saw, he believed. Jesus, though, says, though, that, you know, for you and I, or for everyone that wasn't present that day, or for all those that have come since that moment, for those people who never saw Jesus risen from the dead, but yet they believed. Jesus calls them blessed. Jesus calls you and I blessed if you believe without ever having seen him. The words that he said 2,000 years ago are still true today. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. It's called faith. To believe without seeing is called faith. You know, we talk in our, in our society today and we talk in our world today and people say, are you religious? If you were asked that question, are you religious? Some of you would say, yes, I'm a Christian. And some of you would say, no, I'm not religious. One of our pastors were asked, are you religious? And they said, no, I'm not. But they said, but I have a faith. I have a belief. And that's what it is to be a follower and a believer in Christ, is to believe in something that you have never seen. You've never seen the risen Christ, but you believe that he is Jesus. You believe that he is the Son of God. You believe that he died and he rose again. You believe that the events recorded in this book about his life are truth. And that they are alive. 
That's what it is to believe. It's someone who has faith even though they've never seen. That's why they're recorded in this book. They're recorded in this book to help us believe, to help us know, because we weren't there then, so we have an account of what happened 2,000 years ago. And that's how John finishes up his chapter. He finishes up his chapter with these two verses. He says this, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So what they're saying is, this is a highlight reel. This is like, the, you know, when you want to watch a sport game, but you don't get to watch the whole thing and you just watch three minutes of highlights. So that's what this is. There's so much other stuff that wasn't recorded in this book. But listen to verse 31. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. I love the way that chapter finished. By believing in Him, you will have life. Jesus said these words about the kind of life that He wants you and I to have. John 10.10 from the Passion Translation. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But listen to what Jesus says. I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. The reason Jesus came to earth, the reason he lived, died and rose again was so that we can have life in all of its fullness. I don't believe Jesus went to all that trouble just so that you and I can exist, just so that you and I can live an ordinary, mundane, average life. I believe Jesus went to all that trouble so that we could live and that we could overflow with life. We could overflow with the life that comes from knowing him. The life that Jesus has for us is not just life in this lifetime, but it's life for an eternity. The Bible calls this eternal life, and we celebrate eternal life today. But eternal life doesn't just start. You know, eternal life, who, who saw the news this week? Who's been watching the news? Anyone see something burn down? We're given a picture that not everything in life lasts forever. We're given a picture that some things, as great as they are and as magnificent as they are, and even if they are rebuilt, they, they have a, an end date. They do not have an eternal lasting. But Jesus says there's an eternal life. And Jewish audiences were familiar with this term eternal life. For them, they referred to it as lasting life. And whenever lasting life was talked about, it was always compared to fleeting life, i.e. things that have a use-by date, and things that last for an eternity. Like what we saw in the news this week with Notre Dame. Things that have a use by day, they, they, they finish. But they saying to them, the life that I have come to give you is an eternal life. Is a life that is ever ending. And he says this, things that have eternal significance as opposed to things that have a fleeting significance. And so when he says to them, I've come to give you life and life to its fullness, he's talking about a life that goes on for an eternity. But here's the thing, church. If you were here this morning at the Easter egg hunt, we showed a video and it talked about eternal life. Because eternal life doesn't start just when we die. But eternal life starts the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is not just something far off then at the end of our life. Eternal life is today. Eternal life is you and I living our life in life in all of its fullness. I think personally we miss out on so much of what Jesus has done for us when we only see eternal life as the thing that happens when we die. 
as we only see it as an insurance policy for the end of our life. But if we see eternal life impacting our day to day, here and now, it changes everything. One Bible commentary explained it this way. The ancient Jews would have understood, understood eternal life as life in the world to come. What is the world to come? That's the new heaven and new earth where God will rule without any disobedience or sin to get in His way. The world to come is God's new world order. That would have been the first thing that came to mind for first century Jews when they heard the phrase, eternal life. The emphasis, therefore, is not on the length of life, i.e. how long you will live, but on the kind of life that is how you live, based not on the order of this world, but on God's world order, the new kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Of course, this includes living forever since God's new heaven and earth will also triumph over physical death. But listen to this, to reduce eternal life to only a physical reality in the sweet hereafter is to lose its original breath in translation. Eternal life begins already in the present day when we love God and follow His ways, when we seek His kingdom and His righteousness so that life in the world to come becomes a reality in all of us today. All of that rich meaning would not make sense if we read eternal life only as living forever in heaven. I'm not saying that eternal life does not mean life eternity in heaven. What I'm saying is eternal life begins already, has already begun. The moment you receive Jesus, the moment you believe in Him, you have eternal life here and now. And if eternal life is only about what happens when we die, then I think we rob our lives of, on earth of meaning and of purpose. We rob our lives of what we're actually called to do. We don't experience life in all the fullness that Jesus said He came to give us. But if we see eternal life starting the moment we believe in Jesus, our lives become energized. Our lives become purposed. Our lives become full with the mission of seeing His kingdom come and His will be done. What does it say? On earth as it is in heaven. I was listening to Bill Johnson and he said this. He said, our assignment is to bring the reality of His world into this one. Our destiny is going to heaven. But our assignment or our mandate is to bring heaven. And that's what eternal life is about. Knowing where your destiny is, eternal life. But bringing eternal life to here and now. Bringing the reality of heaven into your world. Bringing the reality of heaven into your workplace. Bringing the reality of heaven into your family, into your home. Bringing that reality of heaven into this earth. The gift of eternal life that Jesus gives us is not just for our benefit when we die, but it's for our benefit today. And if we experience life in all its fullness, what does it say? Overflowing. That means it will affect the lives of those around us. That means it will affect our families. It will affect our workplace. It will affect our communities because it's not just for us, but it's for our world. It's for all of humanity. Jesus came and, and rose from the dead to give us eternal life. And that eternal life means so much to you and I. It means so much to you and I. And I, I hate to think that we only think it's for when we die, but it's for here, now, and today. That's what we celebrate today. We celebrate today on Resurrection Sunday that we have the gift of eternal life. And that changes everything. Not just our eternal future, but it changes here and now and today. Can the creative team come? We're going to finish soon. The gift of eternal life changes things. The life that we receive from Jesus is supposed to be life in all of its fullness. An overflowing, an overflowing that changes the way we live our life. 
the disciples' lives were changed. They were given the gift of eternal life. They were given the Holy Spirit and their lives were transformed. They went from being people that hid in dark and and locked up rooms to people that walked out and boldly proclaimed the goodness of God, to people that were prepared to give their lives for the message of Jesus Christ. You know, so many people when it comes to Easter time, if they're away from God or if they don't know who Jesus is, they question it. They think, oh, it's just a story. It's just a story that some religious people made up to fool all of you Christians. And I was, you know, you can think about that and I know it comes ultimately to everyone having to make a decision of, of their faith and their belief. But I, I remember reading Nicky Gumbel's story about how he was a lawyer or he was studying to be a lawyer at university. And he had all of these friends become Christians and he was concerned for them. He's like, my friends have become Christians. What the heck's going on? They're idiots. So what he did was he read the Bible to study it to prove them wrong. And in reading the Bible, he became a Christian because for him, the evidence was there. The evidence was clear that this wasn't just a made up story, but the account of so many people, so many different people that saw Jesus after he rose from the grave that were prepared to give their life for proclaiming that they saw Jesus. And that's not made up. People don't do that. One or two might, but not all those people, not consistently, consistently, not giving their life to something that's not true. They gave their life, their lives were changed because they believed, because they saw the resurrected Christ. And their lives were changed. If we, as followers of Christ, if we want to step into life in all of its fullness, are you experiencing life in all of its fullness? Is life overflowing out of you? You don't get that from coming to church. You don't get that from doing religious practices. You get that, I believe, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. By following Him. In this verse, it says that for the disciples, for you and I, it starts by believing Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Believing that He died and rose again. The journey begins the day we believe. The journey begins when we declare that our faith and our hope is in who He is. And we receive His gift of eternal life. That gift that changes everything, not just changes our eternal destiny, but changes today and here and now. And this morning as we close, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, give you an opportunity to receive the extravagant gift that He came to give you, the gift of eternal life, the gift that, like I said, changes everything when you let Him in. And it starts by you declaring that you believe in who He is. I'm going to ask us to close our eyes this morning just to give you some privacy, just to give you some some time. Maybe you're here today and you've got lots of questions. You've got heaps of like, what about this and what about that? I want to believe. I want to believe. But there's doubt and there's questions. You know what? That's perfectly okay. And I think it's amazing that you're here in this place. There was a man that said to Jesus one day, he said these words. He said, Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Help me with the parts of my heart, the parts of me that just can't fully believe that you are the Son of God. 
whatever it is that's standing in your way, whatever obstacle, whatever thing that's there stopping you from entering into this life in all of its fullness, my prayer for you today is that you could pray just like that man prayed. Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Wherever you are at this morning, whatever your story is, whatever your heart is, my prayer for you today is that you would know that God loves you. You would know that the reason Jesus came to the earth was for you and it was for me. My prayer is that you would know that He has a plan and a purpose for your life. That you would know that your life will change the moment you start following Him and you start pursuing His purposes for your life. If you're open to do that, if you're open to give your life to Jesus, if you're open to be a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, this is the promise He has for you. I will give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. If that's you today and you want to make that decision, I'd love you just to raise your hand in this room and just acknowledge, yep, yeah, Lottie, that's me. I want to, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. Today's the day I declare that I believe. Today's the day that I say, yep, I'm giving my life to following Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a moment to raise your hand in this room. It's just your acknowledgement, your declaration that says, yep, I believe. I'm a believer. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that He died and rose again. And you just raise your hand now and say, yep, that's me. I'm giving my life to following Jesus. Across this room, that might be you. And if it is, I'd love just to pray with you. I'd love just to lead you in a prayer that invites Jesus into your heart. You may want to do that now. You may want to come and see me afterwards or come and see one of our team. We would love the opportunity to lead you in a prayer, to lead you in a decision that says, I give my life to following you. I want this gift of eternal life to be real in my life, to know Jesus, to follow Jesus. God, I pray for every person in this room. Pray for anyone here that, that doesn't know the gift of eternal life. Pray that right now you would do a work in their heart so they could know who you are. They would come alive to the fullness of life that you come to give and they would know you for real in their life. For everyone here that calls themselves a Christian, for everyone here that says, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, my prayer and my encouragement for you is to remind you that eternal life has already begun. Eternity has already begun. Jesus rose from the grave and He defeated the powers of death and sin. Sin no longer has any hold over our life. Sickness no longer has any hold over our life. Depression no longer has any hold over our life. Jesus has set us free from all of those things. And my prayer for you and my prayer for my life is that I could live in the fullness of life that Christ came to give. That my life would be a life lived to the full and overflowing, affecting those around me, not because I'm better than them, but simply because I've received Jesus in my life and I've allowed Him to change who I am and I've allowed Him to have control over my life. God, we thank You for Resurrection Sunday. We thank You for all that that means and all that that changes in our world. We give You praise this morning and we thank You, God, for who You are 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.